Day. There's a, a couple of announcements I want to make. First of all, if I've not met you, my name is Rich Doring. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Real Life, and we're thrilled that you're here. Love to have you fill out one of those welcome cards so that we could get to know you just a little bit better. And um, at the same time, too, today marks a really cool day. This is the beginning of June, which means it's the beginning of the Challenger League. So if you don't know what the, yeah, for those of you who know what that is, that's great. So the Challenger League starts on graduation Sunday, <laughs> but uh, that, that's okay. If you're here and you hear my voice, you are invited to come. The Challenger League is designed for individuals who have special challenges and special needs. And um, every year our church has the privilege of coaching those kids and leading that every single Sunday night at 5 p.m. at the Ball Diamonds over by Founders Square. And if you don't know where that is, Look for somebody who has a bright orange shirt on. I see Johnny's back there. He's got a bright orange Challenger shirt on. So does his wife, Lori, who volunteered to come speak, but I told her she didn't have to. I'm just kidding. But uh, the Challengers League is just an amazing thing. Honestly, if you would just show up and cheer on these kids, if you knew and heard some of their stories, this is like literally one of the highlights of their life is being a part of this Challenger League. And something really cool kind of happened this last year as well. Uh, the Railcats and the White Sox kind of heard that our field was a little bit in disrepair. And so this last week, they came out, their grounds crews, uh, mostly Railcats, I think. I think the Sox had something come up. But they came out and they redid the field. They redid the parking lot. They redid the buildings out there. I mean, it looks absolutely amazing. And uh, we're talking to them about having the final game of the season at the Railcats Stadium, too. So we just want to encourage you to come out and be a part of it. Yeah. And if you don't know how to play baseball, it does not matter. Uh, we just need people who will show up and be willing to roll a ball out in the field. We'll be able to just spend some time honestly sitting with those families too and cheering their own kids on. And so if you would come tonight about five o'clock, uh, unless you're my kid, you better walk across the stage tonight at graduation. So uh, we've been working for this day for a long time. No, <laughs> uh, but uh, it'll be a good time. Good time every single Sunday night. Five o'clock, and then finally, one more really quick. There is, um, well, let me say this really quick too, because we just don't talk about this very often, but it's honestly the ability to do the Challenger League for our church comes because of some of your giving. And so I just want to thank you, and I want to encourage you to continue to give. I know we're jumping into summer here. We don't really talk about this as much uh, since COVID, since we don't pass plates anymore or offering bags or whatever. But uh, you're giving, and you saw that slide hopefully before the service starts. Your continual, consistent giving enables us to do some of the things that we're able to do as a church, and Challenger League is one of those. And so um, if you want to see what that looks like come tonight, what your giving translates into, and it's a lot of smiles and a lot of tears on behalf of parents, and uh, just want to encourage you to continue in that way. Also this week, if you're bored, and you're looking for a good time, uh, the kids camp is going on this week and uh, it's gonna be fun. It, they still need a few volunteers, so if you're interested, you'll see that uh, set up and display out there in the foyer. So I'd encourage you to jump on that as well. So thanks for being here today. Thanks for being here today. For the better part of about 15 years, my family, I'm really thirsty today, my family has enjoyed living basically, one, in one instance, within walking distance of the shores of Lake Michigan. So for the better part of 15 years, we've just kind of lived around 
Lake Michigan. And uh, years ago, zebra mussels uh, made their way down the St. Lawrence River on a boat and made their way down, and Lake Michigan was just this conducive environment for zebra mussels. And zebra mussels are filter feeders, and so once they landed into Lake Michigan, they just sucked everything out of it, all the algae, all the microorganisms, all kinds of different stuff, to the point where over the last 15 years, there's been multiple times where I could have gone down and stood on a dock or I stood on the shoreline and I've looked into the water and it's just ridiculously clear, ridiculously clear. And uh, in fact, the further north that you go, the clearer, the clearer it is. I don't know if you've ever seen those pictures, those aerial shots of the shipwrecks up in northern Michigan, northern Lake Michigan. You can just see them clear as day right through the water. The water is so clear. So, so clear that um, it is possible to find places in Lake Michigan to go to get some water that looks almost as clear as the water that you might buy at Walmart in a bottle. So, one of these, I just switched hands. <laughs> Was that right? So, Steve, I wonder, one of these is pure, you know, one of these is purified, one of these is like Michigan water. Would you be willing to trust me? No, no, sit down, seriously. I, I was so banking on, so here, have a bottle of water though. I was so banking on somebody to like, no, I can't do that. They're, they're both filtered. Okay. Now, if they weren't, and you guys know, that's a bad idea to drink. As clear as it is, it's still a really, really bad idea. Don't drink the water, okay? And one of the main reasons that you don't drink that water is something called, it's a microorganism called Giarda. Giardia, I think that's how you say it. It's cute. It's cute, okay? But once that thing gets into your body, it lands into your intestines, it turns into something called beaver fever. That sounds like a party. I mean, this just sounds incredible, right? Beaver fever. Beaver fever causes diarrhea, cramps, vomiting, excessive gas, and my favorite, sulfuric belches. So, now, you can survive Giardia. You don't have to die from it. Your social life might suffer from Giardia, okay? But you might not die. What does that in the world have to do with Pentecost Sunday? We're going to get there, all right? So, this all coincides with the end of our series from Revelation that we've been kind of seated in the last month or two. And it's, it's this truth. It's this idea that you and I, as God's children, are, us as the church, have been invited by God to participate in this inbreaking hope of this new creation that is taking place. Not just in some distant time, but right now, God is trying to bring forth this new creation. You and I get to be a part of it. We get to be participants in that. So we're living and loving to represent light in the darkness. That's our job. That's our, our privilege. We, we present hope in the midst of despair. We sacrifice so that others have enough, uh, giving for the sake of others, participating with God in the new creation. That's, that's living out really a bunch of what the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount says, but uh, that's, that's for another day, another series. But here's the truth that we're going to settle on this morning as we kind of close this whole series out on Pentecost Sunday, and it's this. 
We wrap this up by participating in the inbreaking hope of the new creation, but it only happens, it only happens through the work of the Holy Spirit. So in a time of anger and division, um, polarization, that's just the church. <laughs> um, how do you not give in to the patterns of this world? And the pattern of this world is division. That's why we're in this annual focus that we're in. In some circles, it's kind of become justifiable to cling to what's ours. I'm going to cling to what's mine, withhold love and grace. I'm going to deny fallibility on my part for anything. Uh, and and we, we start putting people on blast on social media because they don't believe the same political ideology that we do or, or different things like that. There are religious professionals out there today building careers and stirring up divisive rhetoric. So in that world, in that world that you and I live in today, where do you find the strength to live out this new creation kind of a life when the reality of the fullness of God's new creation isn't fully here yet? It's a now and not yet kind of a, a thing that we're called to. Well, it happens through the Holy Spirit purifying you for the job. Without the Holy Spirit's work in your life, it's going to be extremely impossible for you to live out the calling of Jesus Christ on your life in the world that we find ourselves in today. So I want to ask you, we're going to set this up, but I want to ask you if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Um, and wait, while you get there, and it'll be on the screen here in a second, but uh, John the Baptist has shown up on the scene. He's the last prophet before Jesus Christ enters into his, his ministry of three years. And John the Baptist is an interesting guy. That's a whole different sermon, but he comes out of the wilderness and he begins being a prophet. He calls people back to God and he says, look, this Messiah that you've been waiting for, this Messiah that you've wanted all these years, get ready. Because here comes this Messiah. And in fact, the best way for you to get ready is to go ahead and repent. Go ahead and confess your sins, repent, and then be baptized. Be baptized. Be baptized in water so that you can be ready when this Messiah comes. And so he's going around baptizing. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 3. Here's, here's the hitch. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they start hearing what John the Baptist is doing. He's drawing pretty big crowds too. And they don't like it. So they show up. They show up, and this is what happens. Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Producing fruit, or he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, oh, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So here, here's John the Baptist going from village to village, telling people to repent, to get ready, so they don't miss the Messiah. And people were responding. It was really kind of amazing. 
They were confessing their sins. They were repenting. They were turning to God. And as a result, John was baptizing them in water as a sign of their repentance. And in the middle of all of this, John declares that there is one who is coming who, when he comes, he won't use water. He'll baptize people with the Holy Spirit. But then he says, and fire, which sounds a little (laughs) heavy-handed. Sounds a little apocalyptic, if we can abuse the right meaning of that word. It sounds a little devastating. One of the main things that fire was used for in Jesus' day, and it's still used for this today, is to remove impurities. It's it's designed and used, particularly in metalwork, to remove impurities from the iron so that the end product doesn't have flaws, so that it's not brittle, so that it won't break, so it'll be set to good use when it's finally used and won't put the user in jeopardy. Uh, if you've been to that, I got the incredible privilege. Pete Trinidad took me through a tour of uh, one of our steel mills last uh, spring. And uh, I, I didn't do any work, but I came out looking like I did. Um, I was just covered with all kinds of stuff. But uh, we, we were in some places that were really, really hot. And I don't do well in really, really hot. I'm built for decently cold, not really, really hot. And uh, there were times where we were standing in places and Pete just, I think he was just testing me. He was just trying to see, all right, all right, Doreen, what are you made of? And he made me stand on this bridge where this giant billet of red steel went underneath of us. And for a brief moment, I thought, okay, I do have a life insurance policy. I've got everything taken care of. And all of a sudden, finally, it passes by and my feet didn't catch fire. But that was seriously hot. And one of the reasons you keep doing that to temper that iron and temper that steel, but it goes through this whole process because that end product has got to have as much of those impurities removed from it or else it's dangerous. It's dangerous. God not only wants to forgive you of your sins. He does. He wants to do that. But he doesn't only just want to do that. He wants to free you from it, from sin which sounds too good to be true. Um, But in doing so, what happens is you become somebody who lives more fully the call to participate in God's new creation. I think that we all want to live holy lives. I do. I mean, you came here, you're sitting here in church today, right? I I think we all want to live better lives for Jesus. I, I really do. But I know myself. Uh, when I fall short, I know my temptations. I know my failings. I know I've been forgiven. Okay? I, I've accepted Christ, but I also just acknowledge that living a pure life, having all my responses to people, every, every action, every word, every thought, every deed, having all of those things be pure in my life is really, really hard. It's really hard. So, so how do you do that? How do you live a life like that? I want to talk about three areas just briefly, okay? Our heart, our mind, and our actions. How does this issue of purity, how does this issue of holiness work in those three areas of our lives? And it starts when we allow the Holy Spirit to examine our heart, number one. We allow the Holy Spirit to examine our heart. One of the main purposes of the Holy Spirit, one of the reasons that God gives us the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin. That does not sound attractive. Pastor Rich, I don't like how that makes me feel. I don't want to feel convicted. 
I don't want to eat salads, but that doesn't mean that I shouldn't every once in a while, okay? Listen, Psalm 24, 3 through 4 says, Who may ascend? Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. That's who can stand before God, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. That's who can come before God. So according to that passage, who can stand before God? Only the pure in heart. Only the clean can come before God. How are we doing? Does anyone own that? Does anyone want to say they're perfect? Okay. Proverbs 16.2 says, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. None of us can do this without God doing something for us. For us. Motives, my motives for anything that I do in life start in my heart. They start in my heart. Sometimes we try to justify a lot of stuff that we do in our lives or, or act in our lives compared to others. Man, I, I'm doing pretty good. Not too bad. The problem is, is that your purity in life, your holiness is not based on the performance of other people. <laughs> your purity, your holiness, your walk with Jesus is based on Jesus. It's based on Jesus. He's the example. So God through the Holy Spirit is the one who's qualified then to show us in our heart, hey, here's some things that need to be purified. Here's some things that need to be removed. When we examine our hearts, allow the Holy Spirit to really look deep and reveal to us those things, what we're doing is we're allowing God to speak and to show us in our lives the things that do not line up. Our job, ultimately in that point, is to participate in the process, to allow him to convict us of those things. So, these are really easy. I mean, these line up with all kinds of questions. So, what areas of your life today need to be purified? What contaminants in your life need to be removed? Our job, honestly, every day you wake up is to hand those things over to God. Hand them over to God, let go of those things, and then as you're letting go of those things, use that same hand to cling onto him. That's what we're asked to do. But it starts in the heart but then there's something really, really important that needs to happen. It's one thing to have God purify your heart, but then it's got to travel 18 inches. It's got to get into your mind. It's got to get into your head. So we cultivate a pure heart, and God does that through our mind. Philippians 4, 8, this is the, the Apostle Paul. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent, if anything is praiseworthy, think about those things. Put your mind on those good things. So can I tell you the lie of the pattern of this world? There's a lie of the pattern of this world that you'll never be different. You'll never change. That God might forgive you of your sin, or you might have, you, you might have caught, got religion, but you're not gonna be any different than anybody else. I just, as a personal testimony of somebody who's walked with Jesus since 1992, my wife will tell you I'm a different person than I used to be. And ultimately, it's only because of Jesus. There's a lie out there that says that you'll never change or that you don't even need to. And, and I wanna make sure you understand, I'm not saying your salvation hangs on whether or not you change or not or change some pattern of behavior. But if we don't change, what is in us? 
what's in us. Yes, you are forgiven, but eh, I'm no different than anybody else. Listen, God did not give you the death of his son. He did not give you the resurrection. He did not give you the promise of eternal life, and he didn't breathe out on you the Holy Spirit just so that you could be like everybody else. He says, you're the light on a hill. Yet we set ourselves up for failure because the opposite of the verse that I just read you is really true. Whatever's not true, whatever's not noble, whatever's not pure, whatever's not admirable, we end up usually kind of filling our minds with those things. And we wonder, as we consistently nurture a grudge or we consistently go back and check that one person's posts on Facebook to follow the comments to see if anybody actually finally called that person out because you really don't like them. I ain't stupid. <laughs> I mean, we nurture all these things and we fill our minds with all of this junk. It starts right here. It starts right here. So again, let me ask you, your heart's been purified. You've received the gift of forgiveness through Jesus. You ask the Holy Spirit to reveal and, and remove those impurities, but are you now guarding your mind so as not to reinfect your heart that God set clean? Okay. Are you reintroducing impurities and contaminants through your mind? Paul tells us in the book of Romans that you and I are going to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Our actions, our lives are going to change if our thinking changes, if we understand and see through the eyes of Christ. Paul tells us that, and are you willing to re resist reintroducing contaminants into your heart by then allowing the Holy Spirit to do things like govern your media intake? What about your thought life? The things you expose yourself to, are those under the lordship of, of Jesus Christ too? Are those under the influence of the Holy Spirit too? If your heart has been purified and you're allowing the Holy Spirit to renew your mind, number three, you don't, I don't want to say you don't have to think about number three, but number three becomes a byproduct of those things. You begin to walk by the Spirit. Your, your actions in your life become walking in step with the Spirit of God if you'll consistently hand over your heart and allow Him to change your mind. Your actions will follow. Galatians 5, 13 through 18 says this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. I like that. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out. Or you're going to be destroyed by each other. So I say walk. Here's your actions. By the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Listen, whatever is in us is eventually going to come out. You drink the bad water, some nasty belch is going to come out. And Jen's going to know it, Steve. She's going to know. It's going to come out by the words that you choose, the attitude that you nurture, the way you treat other people, the things we do, all the physical stuff in our life reveals what's guiding us. How many of you have ever known that you had a cold before you had any symptoms? 
That's not how symptoms work, are they? The only reason you know you have a cold is when you get that little tickle, right? You're like, ah, I'm, it's coming. Or something, you know, you know, all of a sudden you're sneezing like crazy or something starts running or this or that. The symptoms reveal what's going on inside, right? You don't treat a cold. I mean, I know that there's a whole industry around colds, but we don't treat colds. We treat symptoms of colds. So that as we treat those symptoms and hopefully keep those symptoms at bay, the cold will run its course and leave our body, right? That's what we do. Cancer doesn't work that way, does it? The only way to get rid of cancer, the only way to to fix the symptoms of cancer is what? Remove the cancer. You can treat the symptoms of cancer till you're blue in the face. But the only cure is to remove it. If you desire what the Holy Spirit desires, which is for your outward, outward actions to be pure, it actually begins with your heart. It has nothing to do with the outward actions. Those are symptoms. So follow the sequence with me, okay? First, you allow the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. You surrender those areas that the Spirit reveals, those impurities. Allow the Holy Spirit to renew your mind and then govern what goes into it. And the result is that your outward life, your symptoms, reflect what the Holy Spirit is doing on the inside. It happens from the inside out. Legalism, the word legalism says that if I would just get my outward actions to line up, if I could just beat myself into submission, that's what's going to make me holy. But that's just treating the symptoms. Holiness is a heart that's been purified. My mind being transformed and my outward actions beginning to line up with that inward reality. It's like what Paul describes. Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 23, it's the fruit coming out of our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And according to God, there's nothing against those things. There's no law against those things. Now, can I encourage you this morning? Because if you're anything like me, a message like this feels like a guilt bomb. I start getting reminded of, okay, Rich, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's this. And I don't like the way I feel sometimes when, when the Holy Spirit says, hey man, I've shown you this like 17 times. Do I need to go like an 18th, 19th, 20th time before you start handing this over? I don't like it when people make me feel guilty. And, uh, and if, if you're sitting in that seat right now, can I just, can I encourage you? God is after one thing. He's after your heart. He's after your heart. Just start there. I want you to imagine with me, um, 17, 18 years ago, let's say I'm working out in my backyard and uh, digging in the garden, replanting bushes, doing whatever, but it's hot, wretched hot out, middle of the summer, sun's beating down, I'm sweating like crazy. And one of my boys, you know, little at that time, is over there by me digging in the dirt, getting all dirty, mud, all this other stuff. The kid's just filthy, right? And I'm just digging away, digging away. Man, I'm just, I'm so hot. Next thing you know, I look up, the kid's gone. And then I turn, and out of the back door, here runs one of my boys with a glass in his hand. And he runs up to me and says, Daddy, Daddy, I brought you some ice water. And so I, I'm like, wow, this kid, like, actually 
loves me and like <laughs> thought of me and, and all this stuff. I'm like, man, this is, this is kind of a moment, right? So I take the glass, you know, I'm like, man, thanks so much, man. I, uh, that, wow, you, he's like, I love you, daddy. I wanted to get you some water. That's, that's nice, that's nice. And so right before I drink it, I look. The outside is filthy, okay? But as I look inside, I come to a realization that that kid didn't wash his hands or anything before he dug around in that ice bin and got all that ice in there and then filled it up. Probably took a swig or two, maybe, but they put, put a little bit more in there. There's as much dirt in the glass as there is on the kid. So I look at that. Let me ask you a couple questions. What does that glass represent? It represents his heart, actually. That kid in that moment was giving me a piece of his heart because of his love for me. He wanted to give some of his heart to his dad. It's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Let me ask you another question. Is that a perfect offering? You tell me. What does my reaction, what does my reaction in that moment to that offering, my son, communicate to him? So I'm embarrassed to tell you, and that, that was a fictional story, just so you know. My kids don't care about me that much. I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they do. I got some good kids. Um, but if my reaction in that moment would have been, oh man, seriously, dude, what the heck? We've told you to wash your hands. Now, okay, now I got to go in. I got to empty out the entire ice tray. Because what, what were you thinking? Why would you give me this? You think I'm actually going to drink this? How much do you think he'd be looking forward to the next time of giving me a piece of his heart? He wouldn't, would he? Okay. Your life and mine is that glass of water. Okay. Uh, if the desire of your heart, listen closely, if the desire of your heart is love for your heavenly father, man, just give him the glass. Just give him the glass. He'll not reject you giving him your heart. That's what he's asking for. He knows that you're infected. <laughs> he wouldn't have sent his son Jesus if you weren't. Okay. He knows you're infected. Just give him your heart. As infected as it might be, he will receive that offering. Trust me. He'll receive that offering. Offer yourself completely to the Father. Let him purify your heart by faith. Give him your heart. Allow him to remove the impurities of a flawed performance. And then tomorrow, do it again. And do it again, do it again. And then listen to his still small voice when he says, oh man, thank you again for your heart today. Tomorrow, I tell you what, let's, let's work on something. Let's wash our hands first. And that's not a guilt trip. That's because he just wants you to be so much more of a resemblance of his son Jesus. So let's wash our hands next time. Next time, let's make two glasses and you share one too. Next time, let's make two glasses and you take mine and just give it to somebody else. Okay? That's when you begin to walk in step with the Spirit.
I can guarantee you that is the person who is participating in the inbreaking hope of the new creation that God's bringing about. So let's drive it straight home. What are your symptoms today? While performance is not based on our holiness, it is an indicator of the condition of our hearts. So our actions are the symptoms. What are they telling you today? Can you bring your heart to God as an offering and ask him to purify it today? I'd like to lead you in prayer. And um, I just want to kind of encourage you to pray on your own. I just, I'll pray here in just a moment, but maybe just in the silence for the next 30, 30 seconds to, to a minute. Uh, if, you, if you know that the Holy Spirit is revealing some things and you desire just to be set apart, you want to, you want to allow his sanctifying spirit to, to cleanse your heart, renew your mind, and begin walking in step with the spirit so that you can become more and more mature in your faith with Jesus Christ. I just want to encourage you in your own words right now. Uh, I don't know that it would do me good to, or do you good for me to give you the words to say. In your own words right now, in the next 30 seconds, I just want to encourage you to pray and I'll kind of close that up. Father, I just come before you today and I'm so grateful. Uh, You're always eager to hear from us. So give us a boldness and a willingness to just approach you every day with our heart. Help us to be a living sacrifice, to be willing to put ourselves on the altar, Father. Allow you to transform us and change us from the inside out. Help us not to be guarded, so guarded, Father, that we believe that we've got to do something before we bring ourselves and present ourselves to you. Help us just to totally just run into your embrace and allow you to do in our heart and in our lives what you need to do. And Father, part of that is us repenting. Part of that is us confessing of the things that you reveal into our lives and into our hearts, Father, that that are impure, the things that are contaminating us, that are robbing us from victory in our relationships because of our attitudes, our actions, our behaviors. Uh, Father, help us to be willing to confess those things. Confession, repentance, those aren't bad words. Those are invitations. In deeper, fuller, real life that you're inviting us to. So would you help us to embrace that today? We love you. We thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit. Help us to walk in step with the Spirit. It's in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Real quick, you're going to see a slide on the screen here. Next week, we jump into a new series, One Another, all throughout the summer. We're going to be talking about uh, all these different one another's in scriptures. Love one another, pray for one another, forgive one another, uh, all kinds of good stuff. We're really looking forward to it. Next Sunday is going to be really kind of a fun, interesting service. And uh, I really want to encourage you to be praying about being here and inviting somebody. But uh, it's going to be a good summer, and I want to I'm looking forward to to jumping through it with you. So thanks. God bless you. Have a fantastic day. Enjoy the weather. Go to the Challengers game tonight. We'll see you. Thanks.